Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Dr. Rupi Ajula on why a heart condition scare sent him to his kitchen to improve his health. Shauna, our tired mama, returns after two weeks of following the Lullaby Lady Heather Dent's programme. So we'll find out if baby Finn is finally out of their bed and in his own cot. And Dr. Mary Ryan is an endocrinologist who has made it her mission to empower women in particular to put themselves first and manage their hormone health. She has written her first book, It's Probably Your Hormones, and she'll join me to talk more. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I've been having a rather lazy Easter break and it's been great. I know I have spoken before on the show about bringing that holiday feeling into our everyday. So things like longer lie-ins were possible, reading more, heading out for dinner and going for walks. Now, I know that's not possible all of the time, but I've been leaning into it where I can over the last few weeks and it has been an amazing recharge of the batteries. Now, Dr. Rupi Ajula was working as an NHS doctor when his life was changed when he suffered a significant heart condition. He began learning about nutritional medicine and this led to the doctor's kitchen, teaching everyone about the benefits of eating and living well. He now has a podcast of the same name, several books, including his latest, Dr. Rupi Cooks, and he joins me on the line now. Dr. Rupi, you're very welcome. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Lovely to be here. Did you ever think when you were studying medicine that you would end up being a best-selling author of, of cookbooks? And, and we're here to talk about your fourth. Uh, no, absolutely not. It was, it was, it was a real uh, strange turn of events. I mean, when I was qualifying and choosing my specialty subjects, I wanted to go into surgery. Um, and it wasn't until I, I had my own health condition uh, really early in, in my medical career over 15 years ago, I actually started looking into nutrition and lifestyle because these aren't things that we're particularly taught well at, at medical school. Um, and the trajectory of my career across both medicine, media and, and publishing has just been a real sort of meandering path that I've just kind of, you know, followed my heart the whole way through. And the opportunity to, to create cookbooks and not only have like delicious recipes, uh, but also a strong health angle where I can convince myself that I'm having a tangible impact on people's well-being, as I would do if I was seeing them one-to-one in clinic. It's just, you know, an absolute blessing. So, um, yeah, it, it's been a a, a really interesting journey the whole way through and definitely not something that I expected. Because it really fascinates me that you can have a medical professional who might not necessarily be healthy um, and it can happen all the time. I, I speak a lot on the show about even the nature of the work and anyone that's working in a hospital, how how pushed to burnout they are and, you know, mm. that, that rest and sleep isn't prioritised and good nutrition isn't isn't available to them. Um, and it, it's, it's just really interesting that, that those two dichotomies can be happening together. Yeah, and you know what? It was most likely the trigger for me and my health issues. The fact that I was working in a highly stressful environment, the fact that my body was put under a lot of stress that the threshold for which for, for me is a lot lower than my colleagues, might shift circadian rhythm disruption, uh, and the eating habits that are normal, quote-unquote, because a sandwich, a packet of crisps, and a Lucozade is not really looked upon as something that is out of the ordinary, whereas uh, a meal with red beans or greens or some delicious spices is seen as something that's abnormal and something that, you know, uh, is fancy. Um, and it wasn't until I, I had those experiences myself that I really understood and I wanted to appreciate the lack of training um, and to fill that gap that, uh, during my medical career. Um, and, and, you know, it's a really interesting point you make because the issues around poor eating are not just reserved for the general public. It is actually very much afflicting medical professionals 
and and everyone who works in the NHS right the way from your administrators, porters, nurses, medics, surgeons, everyone is at risk because of the stresses of the job. And and part of my role in, in the doctor's kitchen and the work I do is to try and put a spotlight on that. And that's why at the end of last year, I actually did a series of pop-ups in different hospitals where I completely took over the canteen, revamped all the food that they had there for a week and, and got uh, as much information and surveyed uh, the staff as much as possible to see whether this is something that they actually wanted. And the response has been fab. So, you know, not only do I want to influence people in their homes and in their kitchens, but also in their work environments too. Tell us a little bit about your diagnosis then in, in 2009. Yeah, so I had a heart condition. It's called atrial fibrillation. It's an irregular heart rhythm. And in my case, it was particularly fast. It was 200 beats per minute. And uh, I would go into these episodes for as long as 36 hours at a time. I was seen by multiple different cardiologists. I was having these episodes two or three times per week. Um, and I was going to have an ablation. Um, and whilst at the, at the time I was on different medications to slow the rate of my heart and to correct the rhythm, uh, it wasn't until my mum, <laughs> who's not a medical professional, actually suggested that I should be looking at my nutrition and the way I was living my life, um, you know, optimizing my sleep and focusing on yoga and meditation, trying to reduce uh, the the stressful impact of the job. Um, And over the course of a year and a half of making these changes, that's when my episodes went from two to three times per week to zero. Um, And if it wasn't for that experience, I don't think I would have done a massive deep dive into nutrition. I don't think I would have started my nutritional medicine masters that that I'm currently completing. Um, And I certainly wouldn't wouldn't have had those early conversations with patients uh, in general practice, which is the special specialty that I eventually went into, um, that triggered me to even think about creating a platform like the Doctor's Kitchen, creating a social media account, starting to have these conversations with people about how they can eat their way to health and applying it to different uh, areas. So atrial fibrillation for a young 24-year-old is very unusual. It's not something that we tend to see. Um, but other things like arthritis, type 2 diabetes, even cancer, those also have an intersection with nutrition that just isn't getting as much attention. Um, and and that, that's really formed the basis of my work. But I, I, whilst there is a serious undertone to everything that I do, I want to bring a real joyful aspect to everything. So that's why I concentrate on making delicious, healthy, easy food that's simple that you can celebrate with. And I'm also trying to get people to think about their own cultural heritages and how that can be healthy. It doesn't necessarily need to be Mediterranean flavored, whether you're from a Korean background, uh, a Sri Lankan background, Indian background, it doesn't matter. You can still eat healthily with the same principles of healthy eating that most people uh, know about. Something I, I often despise of the health message is this idea of, of transformation and drop a dress size in, in two weeks and these kind of mm. before and after pictures, which, you know, that's not to take from somebody's achievement in there and the effort that has gone in. But often people are not prepared for the true nature of transformation and that there are ups and downs that it can take time. But to turn your condition around in, in 12 months really is incredible. Do you think you could share even with us how tough that year was for you to introduce cooking into your already busy lifestyle and and what were some of the tips that you took on at the start that really made the difference? Yeah, it's a really good point Um, and I I agree and I think particularly when you see transformations over a 30 to 90 day window the evidence shows that the net effect is actually quite damaging because when it comes to weight, uh, losing weight fast signals to your body that you're in starvation or famine mode, and actually it changes your metabolic set point. And when you follow people up for long enough, what you find is actually the weight goes on and even more so. And so you see this general trajectory of yo-yoing, but the trend going upwards. Um, and there's some really famous studies that looked at The Biggest Loser, which is a TV show in Australia, and I think it's in the US as well, 
where they actually demonstrated that during the show they lost a, a load of weight, but actually over the course of a couple of years they gained a lot more than they had started the show with, which is which is quite damaging. So I think that message coming out, and I think even from my own perspective, I never want to give the impression that if you just do this, you can achieve X. And during my own journey, I started really slow. And, and I, I talk about this in, in some of my previous books as well, where I would just swap out what I was eating for breakfast. So my, my go-to cereal in the morning was replaced with something like oats or even leftovers. And then, you know, after I nailed that, after a, a month or so, I would start adding my Tupperware that I would take to work and I wouldn't be eating from the hospital canteen anymore. And I got nicknamed Tupperware Boy um, by my consultant when, um, when I was working as a, as a junior. Um, and, you know, in, instead of uh, uh, having um, uh, a, a, like a heavy workout schedule, um, I was u- used to lifting weights and, and, and running long distances. I would, I would swap in yoga and, and flow and mobility movement exercises and things that would actually focus on my breath work as well. So all these things didn't happen overnight. They were additions to my already quite packed lifestyle. And you'd be surprised at just how much you can achieve if you just break it down into very, very small chunks. And so for when, I, when I give talks and, I, and, I, and people ask me about where to start, I always say you've got to start the smallest, the smallest way possible. And those small wins will motivate you further on. And so with this book, with Dr. Dr. Rupi Cooks, when it comes to, uh, if, you're, if you're coming at this from, from uh, ground zero or you already feel like you already have a healthy lifestyle, then just picking one recipe to commit to every week is going to have a drastic change in your mentality and your identity about what you can achieve on a weekly basis. And then you add things on and to, to the point where it becomes almost automatic as it has done for, for me and, and a lot of my patients. And do you think people need to reach a crisis point like you did before they really will make change? Or is there an appetite out there for prevention rather than cure? Well, this is the thing. Um, I, I, I want to prevent people from getting to that crisis point. And I think we already have a lot of very good markers to signal when people might be heading towards one. You know, a simple one, one of the biggest killers in the UK globally as well, heart disease. We have good markers. We have blood markers. We have uh, physical markers like blood pressure. Um, We have family history, which doesn't require any investigation, just a simple chat and a a review of, of, um, of your past and your family tree. You know, those should signal enough to people and and it's my responsibility and and my my job to to get people to understand the gravity of poor lifestyle and eating habits before they get to a crisis point um and and instead but the the the, um the irony is warm to shorter term outpoints just like you were just saying about um weight as a goal or drop a dress size or that kind of stuff that's the kind of stuff that sells and so for me, it's about, okay, how do we utilize some of those marketing tactics to actually implement a long-term change that is going to have a massive impact on their risk of disease? And that's what I'm working on. And, and one of the, the things that we, we do that is that we tap into behavioral psychology around eating. Most people think about healthy eating as something as bland, as boring, as punitive, as solitary. And I flip that on this head with this book by creating a whole section called Healthy Feasts, which is meals that you want to share because they're comforting, they're delicious, they feed six or or more people, and they act as a celebratory piece. You know, it's something that you actually want to do. It's not something that you do on your own uh, and and you you count calories uh, around it. It's something that you actually want to opt into, something that you enjoy. And so that's what I really want to dive into. Yeah, and I think that's so important. And you know, yes, we're talking about preventing disease later in life. But again, that doesn't sound 
quite as, as sexy as it might. Yeah. And it's about how do you feel? Yeah. What are your energy levels when you wake up? How can you show up in your in your life, in your work, with your family, with your friends and in the places in the world where people live the longest and the healthiest? Connection is is one of the biggest markers and coming together over food is certainly something to be celebrated. It's full of gorgeous recipes and advice. And, and I think it's great that you come from a space that if you can do it, anyone can. There's real genuine heart to everything that you do. The book is called Dr. Rupi Cooks. You'll also find his podcast, The Doctor's Kitchen. Dr. Rupi, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Now, you might remember Shauna O'Reilly. She and her partner Chris are, of course, besotted with their recently turned one-year-old Finn and all the great joy he has brought to their lives. However, the fact that they hadn't had a full night's sleep since he was born was beginning to wear. And so a couple of weeks back, we introduced Shauna to the lullaby lady Heather Dent here on air. And they are back to fill us in on how the plan has been working out. Ladies, you're very welcome back. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us. <laughs> uh, Shauna, remind people, it was, it was you know, quite hellish what you were it in. It was, yeah. It was uh, never sleeping through the night. It was uh, multiple wake-ups. It was still taking... I was calling him it. Finn <laughs> was still taking a bottle during the night. At least one bottle, sometimes two. Um, he was very dependent on us to go to sleep. We couldn't really leave him. He was sleeping in the bed, so we'd have to lie with him. And then generally one of us would end up having to just stay in the room with him. And so Chris and I were never even getting to watch like Succession together or anything. We were just kind of like ships in the night going up and down the stairs every night. It's your turn. It's my turn. So that's where we were at. And I still remember you talking about being able to watch on the monitor. And if you did, if you did fall asleep and one of you snuck down and were having your own time, you'd see him on the monitor start patting the empty bed and you'd know that yes. your free time was over. So yeah. that, I mean, obviously there were lovely parts and him snuggling in, but yeah. he was also keeping you awake and it wasn't really helping anybody. Now, we didn't believe when you set the plan, Heather. Like, not that we didn't believe you, but that two weeks was going to be enough time to sort this out. Did you leave here? You can be honest with this, yeah. Shauna, thinking this is going to happen or were you sceptical? So the day we last spoke, I bounced out of here and I was like, this is happening. This is it. This is brilliant. And then on the way home, I was like, I just feel somewhere in the back of my head, I just feel Finn is, it's not going to work on Finn. Finn is determined and maybe he's just going to because you hear these positive stories all the time mm-hmm. and then you somewhere it's I think it's an Irish thing that you go but for my case now it's going to be an absolute disaster and it's not going to work and you hear mad stuff like Margaret Thatcher could survive on four hours sleep and maybe that's <laughs> yes, just Finn you know mad him. stuff yes, yeah <laughs> so that was where I so I suppose I wanted it to work I was very determined to make it work but the negator in the back of my head was like I bet you it won't because it's just him and he's going to he's going to defy us somehow here. But he hasn't. So tell us what you had to do, because, well, first you had to clear out the baby room and take the clothes out of the cot and get it all set up. And then what was the first night like? Uh, So the first night was it was it was tough. It was tough because it was new for all of us. It was new for Chris and I and it was new for Finn. So it was a new environment for him. He was not used to being in a room of his own. He was not used to being in the cot because he would just have clicked his fingers before and we would have taken him out and brought him into the bed and then we just stopped trying the cot. So this was all new. So there was crying. There was kind of upset on both of our parts because I was upset to see him upset. But I also, I just wanted this to, I wanted to give it the best shot. And Heather had kind of armed us with all the information and she was very honest and said, Night one is not going to be easy, um, but just stick with it. And what I did love was I didn't have to close the door and walk away from him and wonder, was he crying himself into an absolute tizzy? Was he in oblivion in there? So what were you doing? Just so sitting I was on a sitting chair? In, uh, on a chair beside the cot. So I could see him, he could see me, and I was able to touch him and comfort him and uh, I suppose reassure him. I just wasn't allowed to pick him up out of the cot. Oh, so, tough. And was he just standing there bawling? <laughs> yeah. Like looking <laughs> up into my face, being like, Mom, what are you doing? And, uh, but that didn't last very long, which was, I mean, the great thing. So that was night one. 
And you're obviously not staring at him stony faced. You're like, you're okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I you're lying really down. Sure it's bedtime. Lots of love. Yeah, and yeah. lots of love. And yeah. that was the thing that I really liked about this because I just wouldn't have been able to do the the. St- I'm just not that person. I couldn't just. I close just couldn't yeah. close the door. So, and now there was even with this, even with this. Um, approach. I was still standing out in the landing, going, "I can't do this. This is horrible." And I remember sending Heather a voice note the first night, and be like, "Okay, he's asleep now." But that was not easy. It was not, you know, it wasn't because that was night one. Mm-hmm. But it it improved so quickly then. So eventually, he just lay down and went to sleep, even on night one. After a bit of crying yes. and need a bit of assurance, yes. he he did. I bet you couldn't believe and it. And he stayed in the cot for the whole night. And that was, I mean, another thing Heather said that was a win. That if you if you manage to keep him in the cot for the whole night on night one, that that's a good that's all the boxes ticked for night one. And Heather, WhatsApp must be massive in your business now is it so you set up a WhatsApp group with the parents and you're a hotline so you're getting all kinds of texts through the night so you mean I know you have a family of your own but are you between like what six and and eight are you on yeah so really my support hours are kind of first thing in the morning how did the night go what worked what didn't work I'll usually check in in the middle of the day as to how the naps are going because that's obviously very important for the nighttime sleep and then yeah, I'm there again in the evenings, um, you know, usually not between six, I kind of after my own girl's bedtime. So usually between kind of seven and nine there on the WhatsApp, because there's no point in me giving someone a plan and sending them on their way and then panicking the room going, oh, it's not working. A simple text from me going, this is normal. This is the right thing. You're doing a great job. I'm there for the support. They've paid for two weeks of support. So that's what I'm there to do. Can be make or break for the first, second or kind of third night, really. The voice notes. I'd say listening back to them would be a bit oh, of a crack. And poor Shona was was you know I could hear and I can hear it as a mother myself. I can hear it in people's voices. They're relieved. They're maybe anxious as to how the rest of the night is going to go. But I suppose once you see him fall asleep at that point, you know he's asleep in the cot. He can actually sleep in this thing, and it gives you a bit of empowerment to go Definitely. through the first night. Yeah. So. Then things just cruised on from then. Yeah, they just gradually increased uh, or just got better. Like, I I couldn't actually believe what was happening. I couldn't believe that this was happening because I was going, this is Finn. He is asleep in the cot. We are in our own bed asleep. (laughs) And then I think from night three, he slept through or night four, it was very quick. Um, the first night he woke, I gave him a bottle, and and then from then on, that was the only night he got a bottle. Yeah. Uh, from then on, from we from, eased him into from it. From night yeah. one, after that, and he didn't he didn't need it. He was fine. Um, and I just co- we we kept kind of going down, sitting on the couch, being like, "This is mad. This is mad. <laughs> <laughs> this is, mad. This is like Finn's asleep." And like we would be looking at the monitor waiting for the death eyes you know when you can see it on the on the infrared or whatever yeah. the death eyes his eyes spring, spring open and you just see these two bright eyes <laughs> but no death eyes it was yeah and how has he been? he has been in great form so he has been I feel he has felt the benefit of the rest because he's getting so much more sleep the naps are in the cot um, his sleep's much better at night he has had a bit of a wobble. I think he's he's in a developmental leap at the moment. So he's in a bit of a life is crazy mode at the moment because he's learning a load of new things and he's starting to kind of say little words and he's he's starting to high five and all this. So I think his brain is a bit wired to the moon in the last couple of days. But he's in great form. He had his first birthday in the in the in the mix here as well. Mm-hmm. So that was another thing that was brilliant because I had said to Heather, this is going to be happening in the middle of this. And obviously the day of his birthday, we had a little party. He didn't get his naps at the right time that day. And Heather was like, look, this is life. You can't always be on a schedule. It's probably will impact it somewhere along Mm -hmm. the way. But we were able to talk to Heather about it, work out the best plan of attack. And then kind of she was there to help us kind of mop up the mess afterwards as well as in the following day when when he was like, "Okay, I'm really tired now. What's happening? And Heather was there to say, look, that was because of him missing the nap yesterday and that's why it, and it's great just to have answers for her to be able to say this is totally expected it's not like us there going why is what's happening here she was able to kind of illuminate mm-hmm. uh, on that and let's talk about the hiccup then because it's actually hilarious that I was involved in this <laughs> yes. um, the irony of it all myself and Shauna were like full disclosure we know each other Shauna works in Today FM only two floors up 
and we were to go to Deer and Garrity's show together on Wednesday night. But yeah. Tuesday night, Finn did not stick with the programme. He didn't, no. It was just one of those things. I don't know what happened, whether he was brewing. He, I've We were just, myself and Heather were chatting. I, I have a feeling he's brewing something so he could be getting sick or else there was something else going on mm-hmm. in his brain. I don't know. But he went to bed absolutely fine. And I actually texted Heather being like, best bedtime Yeah, we ever. were celebrating. <laughs> I was like, he went down, not one tear, yeah. not one tear. I actually, and, and we were, there was emojis yeah. and woo. And, uh, <laughs> and then I was getting ready to go to bed on Tuesday night. And I went up to bed and I was sitting there and I was reading and scrolling and life of luxury now that I, you know, I don't have anyone in my bed with me except for my partner, obviously. But um, <laughs> next thing, Finn wakes up and it was 11 o'clock and, and that was it. It just, it was an absolute mess the whole night but I, I like that is going to happen it is yeah absolutely he's only a year and we're changing a habit of 12 months in two weeks so like I think I said this when I was on the last time you're you're seeing in the two weeks is the child capable of sleeping through the night and which he has done multiple times in the last two weeks and changing a lot it's now about making it consistent you know that it's every night that you're you're going to bed knowing he will sleep through unless he's popping a tooth or brewing something or, you know, in a regression. Obviously, these things happen, but it's knowing he's capable um, and knowing that Finn isn't the exception to the rule. He can do it. He's like all the other babies and he loves his sleep. He does. And that's your baseline Mm. that you come back to. It's not going to be perfect all the time because life isn't. They're not robots. They're babies. So where do we go from here? I mean, are you going to see Heather Dent has left the group (laughs) and are you going to be okay? (laughs) No, I think we're going to chat for another couple more nights um, to really work at maybe putting him down. We're still in the room when we put him down because he's loving his cuddles and Shona loves her cuddles as well when she's putting him to bed. So we're going to work for a couple more nights at potentially putting him down and being able to put him down and leave because he's not quite there yet. And that will help him just increase the the sleep skills and build on his sleep skills. So I think we're going to be chatting for a few more nights, aren't we? Well, maybe. Yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't, no, no, like, no. I and that, I'm conscious. Heather's like, oh my God, this girl is texting no, me again. No, no, no. And, and I, I said that to Shona. It like, really, you don't just at the end of the two weeks, you know, disappear as a sleep consultant. If it takes two weeks, if it takes two and a half weeks, fine. And there's a reason why they're two and four week support packages. Like some babies, it's all tied up on a bow in two weeks. Some take three, some take four. But you're building on these skills and you're you're seeing that he has the capabilities. And then we're ready to just build on that. But it's been a success. Oh, my God. oh it has. Yeah, like, I, I, I was just noting, like on the, I was driving into work this morning thinking I was going, OK, so A, he's out of our bed, which was something I thought was never going to happen. I thought that it was just not going to work. So he's out of our bed. He's now out of our room into his own room. Mm-hmm. He's dropped the night feeds. That's, the, you know, a massive thing that he was, we were still plugging him with two bottles a night and he's sleeping through the night 90% of the time, 95% of the time. So they are like that is the the change for for me and for for us and I'm not, I'm not just saying that you've just been such a massive help. Oh, you've you. honestly you've been a massive help and I'm sure Claire Heather never wants to see Shauna has and put like <laughs> the text Bing Bing Bing. This is what's happening now, but it's been amazing. It honestly it has. And, and just in two weeks, yeah. Mm. So I kind of I I'm not worried about the little mishaps every now and again because it's like I kind of am looking at it like an adult we all have nights where for some reason we just have one of those nights where we can't sleep or there's something going on in our brains or we're not teething but you know you're we're not feeling well <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah yeah so it's bound to happen every now and again it's just about how we deal with it mm-hmm. what we do the next day to try and make sure mm-hmm. that we don't mm-hmm. get into a bad habit again and and yeah. so what would you say to a knackered parent who's listening now thinking, oh no, my child is the exception to the rule? Well, I thought Finn was the exception to the rule and here we are. And I, I've watched him on the monitor sleeping soundly and I've gone to bed and for the first time in a year, for two weeks, I've had 95% of the nights I've had undisturbed sleep, which is unheard of in our lives in the last year. And it has just been... And it's so nice because Chris and I can sit up in bed and have a chat in the evening <laughs> and we're just having a natter about the day because we couldn't do that before. Yeah. It's like, the, shh, the lights off and get into bed and be quiet. You know, yeah. so it's just, so for anyone who's listening who um, might be kind of thinking this is not going to work for them and 
or is afraid of doing it because they don't want to be too harsh, whatever. I found this really comfortable for me as a mom and as a very emotional person myself. I didn't really, I wasn't into, you know, really going through it, the, the whole crying and all that. But it was, it was, it was really, really positive. So. Amazing. Well, I'm so glad you said you've been teaching uh, Finn to high five because this is a <laughs> high five moment. Aww. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Well done to all of you. And <laughs> thank, thank you for sharing it all. Mm. And to you, Heather, for being such a great support system. Delighted to help. They were brilliant. They were so committed. They really, really were. And this is why you do what you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's 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 uh, really, really rewarding. It is. And I don't think any, it, it, the I suppose the glow wears off. Every family that I see a success with just brings me loads of joy. So wow. I'm delighted for them. Well, I'm going to miss you as well. I don't know. Come back in two weeks and tell us all. Send me a few voice notes. If people want to find out more about Heather Dent, you can go to the lullabylady.ie. But Heather and Sean O'Reilly, thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks, Emil. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Dr. Mary Ryan trained at Trinity College in Dublin. She completed her specialist training in endocrinology. She is a regular contributor in media, a senior lecturer at the University of Limerick and host of the Empowering Women podcast. She has made it her mission to get women in particular to put themselves first, to manage their health and manage their hormones. She's put it all in her first book, It's Probably Your Hormones, From Appetite to Sleep, Periods to Sex Drive, Balance Your Hormones, to unlock better health and Dr Mary Ryan joins me on the line now. You're very welcome Mary, how are you? I am great Claire and how are you doing? It's lovely to talk to you again. And Mary, I have never forgotten the time you came in to studio to talk about your work in endocrinology and the importance of, of hormone health and what always stuck out in my mind that is still very much at the forefront of this book is people not giving themselves enough time to rest and you were talking to me about women who arrive and say something's wrong with me I'm exhausted all the time and when you drill down into what they were doing every week it was most of what was going on at home working full time and getting up at all hours of the morning to to run five days a week and you thought well hang on a second where does rest feature? Exactly, exactly. It's so, so important. And I suppose, Claire, I still hear that, even though it's improving, I think women, empowering of, of women is just a little behind empowerment of men. And I think it's endemic in, in the female population, unfortunately. But but I also um, have been encountering this as many of my colleagues that over the last number of years dealing with endocrinology, uh, I'm seeing all the hormone imbalance, particularly in women, because they're overdoing it. Yes, I meet men that overdo it, but particularly women, they constantly seem to put themselves last particularly in their home life. They, as, as you said, they get up, they make the children's lunches, even though they might be well capable of making them. Some of them uh, miss a breakfast, but they won't allow their child miss a breakfast. This sort of complete lack of, of you know, self-worth, it's changing, but slowly, and we need to change more because it directly feeds into your hormonal health and your hormonal health, your hormones control everything. They control your, your muscles, your immune system, your memory, your energy, everything, your emotions. So if your hormonal health isn't good and if you're not recharging that hormone control center the way you should, then you're going to suffer. And, you know, we all, you know, like in an airplane, you can only attend to to yourself first and then you attend to your um, your child. But women seem to think that they should attend to themselves last. So it's trying to change a narrative. And yes, we are changing it. It's slow to change. But I think the last 10 years of, of me speaking about it have, have definitely changed. And of course, I have some great people coming along with me, like Lorraine Keane and Laura Dowling, Uno and all these wonderful people that are coming on board, empowering women to to really love themselves and realise their self-worth. So it feeds into everything. It feeds into, you know, your energy levels. It feeds into your emotions. It feeds into your sleep. If you're overtired, you won't sleep well because your hormones are off. It feeds into your bowel being off because people forget the bowel is a muscle. It feeds into your immune system. If your hormones are off, your immune system isn't healthy. And also because we're women, we've got periods every month from the age of 12 up to beyond 50. So we've got a hormone chaos going on all the time in that hormone control centre. So we're not recharging the way we should. We're making everything so much worse. And I think we've got to be conscious of that as women, that we really have to listen to our bodies and do what we tell everyone else to do, to love themselves. But we equally have to do that for our own hormonal health. And that's what's really important, Claire. And as you say, this has been your mission over the last 10 years, giving talks up and down the country, featuring on radio and television. And now 
with this book. And I certainly feel like the perimenopause is, is getting attention at the moment. But up until now, we've sort of looked at being hormonal as something negative. Whereas when you describe it in relation to your work, it's literally the functioning of our bodies. It's totally, absolutely clear. It's so important that if we could just understand that the reason we're all talking as doctors about eating healthily, nourishing yourself, getting regular exercise, meditating, you know, having time to give gratitude, all of that feeds into positive hormonal health. And the more hormonal, positive hormonal health you have, the better. Uh, So that helps your energy levels. It directly feeds onto everything else. So if people understand that they have a a very normal uh, hormonal health and that they just recharge and eat and nourish their bodies as as much as they can. That feeds into a very good hormonal health, 10 out of 10 energy. And that's what we all need is is energy. When we have 10 out of 10 energy, that's what we're all seeking. We've got great happiness, but it's because our bodies are working at their optimum. And that's what we need. That's what we need. We're only in this world once. We deserve to do that for ourselves. We're not getting a second shot at it. We're only traveling this way once. And remember, as women, we're we're mothers, we're nurturers, so we're mentors. We're mentors for the generations behind us. We're mentors for our own children and for our grandchildren. If they see us loving ourselves, then they in turn will do the same. So it's really, really important that we, we do that. And it's nice to get some of your kind of personal story through the book, Um, you know, who you studied with, how you became very interested in in endocrinology and this holistic approach to health that you learned and that you now lean into so that you really engage with each patient, truly listen to them and then treat them as a whole with medication, but also lifestyle changes. Totally. I think as doctors, Claire, we can't just be seen as um, prescribers and it was never meant to be that way. I was very lucky to go to Trinity College, got a great education there, had wonderful mentors and my endocrinology mentors were Dr. John Barragree, uh, Professor Jim Devlin and um, pr- Professor, oh my goodness, isn't that Professor Gerald Tomkin? And they were just amazing. But they all it, you know, taught me the importance of communication getting the patient's story. Every patient has a story. Listening to the story, listen to what's wrong and then do a good examination, then communicate to the patient what is wrong. Because remember, if the patient doesn't understand what, what is wrong, they're not going to comply with what, what you ask and then giving the appropriate medication. But part of the advice has to be lifestyle advice. And this is particularly in the area of diabetes, which I do a lot of. You know, if I'm uh, wanting a patient of normal blood sugars, I have to have them understanding why they need to adhere to a normal healthy diet understanding why they need to exercise too because the muscles will bring down the blood sugar as they exercise. So if they understand everything and I have good communication skills, then they will do that. So that's sort of this, I suppose I got that at a very early start in Trinity College and with the great mentors I was so lucky uh, to to come across. But I I tell that now to my students in the University of Limerick and also in UCD that it's so important that we do um, communicate properly with patients and it's not all about medicine it's that holistic approach because that's what works best if, if everyone if they do everything like rest get the rate of sleep do the exercise in moderation not overdoing it what that's going to achieve nothing just your 30 minute minute exercise every day eating healthily lo- loving themselves doing the meditation the relaxation whatever it helps to de-stress them and that's all helping their hormonal health it's completely recharging their hormone control center which is the pituitary which controls the adrenal glands which actually control cortisol, which is our stress hormone. So the more recharged all that circadian rhythm is, the better we all feel. Our cortisol levels are where they should be. Our adrenaline level, which is the real flight or fight hormone, isn't up to the rate of 90, whereas interfering with sleep or making us jittery. So it's really important that we have that balance and we can only have that balance with a good holistic approach, eating healthily, not eating excess caffeine, not eating excess sugar, having adequate hydration, recharging when the body needs to be recharged and not constantly going against what the body is telling us. That's so important. And that was something interesting you said in the book that stood out to me about hydration and that there is a big craze, one I almost feed into myself, of carrying a massive big bottle of water with us everywhere and filling it Mm. constantly and that there is an issue with being overhydrated. 
Yeah, in endocrinology, we, we deal with this condition, compulsive water drinking, where if you if you actually drink too much water, you switch off the hormone, the pituitary called the antidiuretic hormone, and patients just, um, you know, pour out water, they urinate constantly. So you don't want that. It, it's it's about getting a balance in everything, a balance in life, in everything with regard to diet, with regard to sleep, with that exercise, with regard to water. Uh, it's it, That's what we want and that's what we need in everything in life is balance. So two litres a day is what we're told to do. And obviously, if you're out doing a rugby match or doing, you know, a, a, a run, um, then you have to hydrate appropriately or doing a marathon. That's different. But, but every day, two litres a day is what is prescribed. And that's what we should be adhering to, unless we're doing excesses of sport and your physiotherapist and your doctor will advise you about that. And you're going to be getting it everywhere from any of the kind of tea you're drinking or through, you know, yeah, your, no. your food also. It doesn't have to be this, this massive big bottle. That, that's it. No, I'm a big tea drinker, even though I've cut it back a little bit because of the caffeine. But t- tea and coffee actually de- dehydrate you. So you can't really count the tea unless you make it weak, which some of my patients make it very weak. So you can get away with that. But unless you're making it very weak, Claire, you can't really add it in. So we have to just watch that the, you know, th- that we get the two litres of water in. But if you're a light tea drinker, then yes, you can, you can count it in if you make it very weak. And this key message of having our hormones in balance to have a knock on effect on our overall health and well-being and energy levels. We need that adequate rest and to reduce our stress. But are you finding that in today's modern world, we're more stressed and tired than ever before? Yeah, we are, Claire. But the one good thing that came out of COVID was I've noticed a lot more of people looking into themselves and looking at ways of, you know, how can we do relaxation? How can we do more yoga? They're more into, you know, doing this gratitude book and all this sort of looking into themselves more. That, that's one good thing. Yes, life is ridiculously busy. But I think COVID taught us one thing that when we to pause, we all had to pause and most of us managed it even though it wasn't healthy for us mentally but when we got out there we said we're really going to carpe diem and that's what we're doing but I think people are and I'm seeing this with patients they are more focused in on themselves getting out to do their exercise doing their yoga and and basically putting more time to themselves I think the the hybrid model is working well uh, to support that as well so people are a little bit more in tune of what they're supposed to do and I suppose what I'm trying to do is tell them to do that even more more. And it's so important for their overall well-being, their hormonal health and and for long, longevity as well. So um, it's, it's really creating that awareness among the public to tell them you have this in your control. This is what you need to do. You can control this by doing this. And that's what I'm doing is creating that awareness, handing it back to the patients. They can't. It's so important that patients look after their own health first. It's not just up to their doctor. They've got to do it for themselves and they've got huge power within themselves to do that once they know what they have to do. And you dedicate the book to the women of Ireland, um, also to your family, your mum, your dad and your siblings and your three children, Michal, Sean and Una. And in the book, you write about the death of your husband suddenly when the kids were only eight and five. Firstly, I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, that must have been such a tough time for all of you. It was horrendous. It was horrendous, Claire. And I suppose we just moved into our our house. We did, got a lovely house and had just done it up. And we're in it in a year when poor Eamon died. So it was an awful time. And I suppose, you know, it's only when you, now I'm seeing Joe Biden's visit to, to Ireland, he went through tra- dreadful tragedy too. And it's only, you know, you, you go through that terrible pain and the shock of it actually, that's that's how you cope, I think, because you don't quite know what you're going through. I, I The children definitely kept me going. My lovely twin boys, Michal and Sean, and my daughter, Runa, and my family, my parents and my siblings, uh, Winifred, uh, Dolores and Sean, were fantastic as well, and all my patients and friends. Uh, you know, they really kept me going, but it's very raw for the first two years. There's no question of it. The pain is awful and you're just existing and every anyone that's listening will tell you that and then you just you just keep going with all the people around you and I suppose thank God um, I, I had my children and and the support of my family and that, that I, I was able to get through and I suppose one of the reasons that I, I got through this was that I like helping people I like giving and um, you know I gave in the work of medicine doctor uh, a doctor is a lovely career yes it's a stressful career but I love it and you're, it's very rewarding when you're making people better and you're, you're coming to them and seeing them much happier 
happier than they were the last time. That That's wonderful. But I suppose I, I also was very adamant that I wanted to do more to help people, help women in particular. I could see that inequality and how it's affecting women's health and hormonal health. And I wanted to do something about that. And I started back uh, giving menopause lectures with Lorraine Keane eight years ago and um, kept that going for the last few years along with my work um, in as a consultant at Limerick and Kilkenny. And then thankfully, opportunity to write this book and I really just wanted to empower people to take control of their health but to, to make them realize what it's all about and what hormones are all about and how they can make such a difference but as you said it was it was an awful trauma uh through pain we grow uh the first two years were wretched but um with the help of my family and my patients who kept coming and asking me how I was you know I've managed to get through and I suppose as everyone says to you, you don't know what death is likely comes to your own door and that's so true but I would like to think that I'm more empathetic as a result and when patients come in and they they say to me you know they've just so lost someone I say look the first Christmas will be bad but the second Christmas is even worse and I found that and I you know it's better you know it than then you sort of approach it and, and then you because you, you're having an awful dive otherwise so it's better to to know uh, what's ahead of you uh, if you can so you can control it a little bit better. And it was so lovely of you to share such a personal part of you and your story but you also told it I imagine to let people know that you know all about navigating a busy life that can be tough and stressful and you had the juggle of family and professional needs as well as your own, but that you really do practice what you preach. Yeah, absolutely, Claire. And I suppose as, as, as a mother, and we always feel guilty and I felt that guilt too. But the, what I do say, and I say it to all my patients, is that I really do believe it's it's quality over quantity of hours. And I, the mothers staying at home looking after children are amazing. But what I have found with my own kids, and I can only talk from personal experience, is I was working full time. But the, every time I got a chance to to get my holiday, I went away with them just to have that, that bonding time. <clears throat> but I guess give them, you know, I give them great quality time and, and thank God they've turned out really well. Yeah, I did want to share my story because we all forget we're all human. Uh, we all forget that just because you're a professional, you still are a human being. You're a mother, you're a, a sister, you're a daughter. Um, and, and you're, you know, I, I went really tough time and thank God I got through it. I went to counselling as well and I really recommend counselling to everyone. I think in Ireland we're inclined to be a little bit judgmental about counselling. In actual fact it's very healthy and I think Warren Buffett was the he's the second wealthiest man in the world and he said the best investment is in yourself and I really believe that because you know you, you learn how to cope, you learn about yourself and once you do that inner journey um, you really you really become a very strong person and we all know every day there's always stress involved, but you learn to cope with it. And it's, if you can learn to cope with the stresses, then it doesn't affect you much. So um, that, that's why I shared my, my story, because I feel that if everyone was more, you know, if people realised that what we all went through and we all were very human, then they wouldn't feel that they stand out because they're losing it in a particular moment. We all lose it sometimes. We're all human and we all have to just teach each other how to cope that that's what's really important. And people will be quite inspired, I think, by what you're saying and say, right, I'm on board. I want to balance my hormones. So how do we know that our hormones need attention and and what should people do? So I suppose, Claire, if you're feeling very tired, if you're not sleeping well, if if you're just feeling really tired, not sleeping, if you have headaches, if you've got, you know, um, irritable bowel symptoms, if you're feeling very jittery, all of these would would mean that your hormones were off. So you you could be just, your hormone control centre could be just exhausted and have something like chronic fatigue, where you have aches and pains in the muscles, you have headaches, you're just constantly tired all the time. Or you could have an overactive thyroid where you're sweating, flushing, losing weight, uh, palpitations, or you could have an underactive thyroid where you're putting on weight um, and you're feeling very tired at the same time. And then, of course, women around perimenopause and menopause have a hormone imbalance going on all of the time. But even women around mid-cycle, it's very normal to feel exhausted at that time. And a lot of women do. And that needs to be said. A lot of women feel very tired when they're going through a very heavy period because the the hormones are pushing from the hormone control centre, which is also controlling all the other hormones around the muscles. So really, that 
for people to understand that this is a hormone imbalance and not to stop fobbing it off and saying, oh God, it must be in my head because that needs to stop. So so to answer your question, Claire, feeling very tired, just feeling off, not feeling yourself, not feeling 10 out of 10 and just dragging yourself. And it's not just one day, it's, it's a good few days. That's telling you the hormones are off and it's very easy sorted. And that's the thing. And often sorting it can be just identifying the problem, making sure there's nothing else wrong. So going to your local doctor and just him him or her checking, doing a full check, making sure everything is okay, making sure thyroid isn't off, making sure you haven't undiagnosed diabetes, which is another, tiredness is another symptom of that, but you could also be urinating a lot on Thursday. So, uh, you know, just getting a, a check, doing the bloods. But if it is just hormone imbalance, then you're just, everything is going to be fine in the bloods, but you're just going to f- uh, feel very tired. And with good uh, rest, relaxation, eating healthily and, and realising that you've got to pull back, that then then you will come back to normal. And a lot of patients have seen this with long COVID, Claire. Long COVID is very like what glandular fever, we saw it in endocrinology a lot, where, you know, after a bout of glandular fever, a lot of patients would be absolutely whacked for years um, or, or maybe, you know, 18 months. And they, they would be just going from an energy of 10 out of 10 down to 2 out of 10, aches and pains, constant headaches, and, and not able to do their, their work. And the, these patients, this is what we're seeing now with long COVID, but again, would rest with, uh, you know, treating the symptoms which are often muscle pain uh, allowing because with the muscle pain that stops them sleeping so treating treating the symptoms and allowing patients to 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 recharge they do very well and they come back up to 10 out of 10 and we've seen this time and time again so hopefully it'll be the very same with the long COVID patients so I think these are things that weren't dealt with well in the past in medicine thankfully now uh, it, they're being investigated properly and the one thing COVID did is that it will allow these uh, these um, illnesses to to be researched even better than they were because for a long time they weren't and and that's the one good thing uh, but we as endocrinologists would have seen it time and time again people coming into our clinics absolutely exhausted used to being 10 out of 10 now 2 out of 10 now dragging now absolutely quite, haven't got the energy to get out of the chair and they're not depressed they're really dying to get up but they just don't have the energy yeah so and there is we, this mentality that, time that time we just truck on and pain is just par for the course but you're all about empowering us to listen to our own bodies to speak out for what we need you know you you urge people to get their partners their kids their friends helping and reach out for that help and it's no surprise that self-esteem is your final chapter in the book which is an interesting one in the study of hormones but that's at the centre put yourself first and thank you for speaking up on behalf of all of us. The book is fantastic. Thank you, Claire. It is Thank called you, Claire. It's Probably Your Hormones From Appetite to Sleep, Periods to Sex Drive, Balance Your Hormones to Unlock Better Health. Dr. Mary Ryan, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Claire. You're wonderful. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer, Aoife Breen, to Simon Keane and Hugo De Silva Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna, Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.